Well, good morning and welcome to Water and Stone and a belated Merry Christmas to you. I hope that you had a wonderful day and we're still celebrating the Christmas season in all kinds of ways. And this is a culmination of our Christmas series. We've been talking about the basic idea of flipping the switch. When we see something that's unexpected, adventurous, surprising, outside of our comfort zone, the default response for a lot of grown-ups is fear and the childlike response is hope. And so if you've been following along with these lessons, you know that we're trying to learn how to flip that switch back into that thrill of hope. And that's a Christmas message, but it's one that I hope we can carry with us throughout the rest of the year. But like I said, this is the culmination of that. And so we're going to be doing this service in a little bit different way. I'm going to end the service a little bit differently. And uh, we're going to have a, a reading that I've put together from some Bible quotes that we've been working on and a couple of other sources. If you're somebody that used to go to Water and Stone Church when we met in a physical place, you remember our candle lighting service. Well, this is kind of an adaptation of that. And with that in mind, we're going to be looking at some pictures that you have sent in of your light. We're learning how to share our light in all kinds of different ways. And this is one of those opportunities. So I hope that you'll take that to heart and find ways to share your Christmas light in new and surprising and outside of your comfort zone ways as we move through this together. And with that in mind, one more note. Normally, we have our offertory blessing at the end of the service and all of that. And, and I want you to bless the offering in your own way today. I just want to remind you that in order to support this church, there's a few things you can do. You can like and subscribe and please, please, please share these videos. There's a little share button on the bottom corner of your screen. I encourage you to hit that and share the message. But above all, the thing you can do to help support this church financially is to go to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for your blessing and for your support. But with that in mind, let's begin our service as we always do with our opening prayer. God is and I am I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is and so it does. In the name and nature of Jesus Christ. Amen. So our scripture today, this is Christmas time. So again, it's going to be very familiar. The scripture comes from the second chapter of Luke. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a lot in that, a lot I, I want to talk about today. I remember hearing that passage, you've heard it before too, you know it's a Christmas one. <laughs> I remember hearing that passage as a kid and being kind of confused by it. I mean, it's a funny thing. It seems pretty straightforward, right? But when you think about it, 
Think about it like you would if you were a little kid. Because when I heard the story as a young person, there's this idea that here are the shepherds in the fields doing what shepherds do. We talked a little bit about that in previous uh, lessons. But this angel of the Lord appears before them. And, you know, as a little kid, I was always thought that was a good thing. <laughs> Don't you? And there's that line. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. Depending on your Bible translation, sometimes it says, and they were sore afraid, which I like a lot. So afraid it hurts. But one way or another, I remember as a little kid being confused by the idea that here's the glory of the Lord. Here, I think of angels as a good thing. I think of glory is a good thing. Why are they frightened? Doesn't make sense to a kid. And this is one of those moments, you know, talking about flipping that reaction switch. This is one of those moments, if you want a life that's a little bit more fulfilling, successful, impactful, happy, get to the place where it doesn't make sense to you like it did when you were a kid. Now, as I read that as an adult, I get why having the glory of the Lord shine all around you can be scary. Shouldn't be, but I get why it can be. Think about it with me. What is the glory of the Lord? All of the promise of new adventure, new opportunity, new healing, getting ready to, to let go of the old crutches and scars and setbacks and dysfunctions and problems and you name it. Being in the face of opportunity with a capital O can scare the pants off some people. You know exactly what I mean as an adult. Kids don't get that. We shouldn't either. There's something powerful in that message. And understanding your response to the glory of the Lord is a big deal. Because you know that basic Sunday school idea, if God is everywhere, then the glory of the Lord is shining around you right now. You might not see it. You might not know it. You might not want to see it or know it. But there's an opportunity right there for you. There's love right there for you. There's a chance to heal, to get over it, to grow up, to move on, to set the old setbacks back. And that can scare people because it means accountability and responsibility and stepping out of the comfort zone and the unknown. But those are things that are comfortable for a kid. Get back there. Get back to where you once belong. That's the message. And just like the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you a message that is good news of great joy for all the people. Now, <laughs> we've heard that over and over again, but think about it with me. I think that it might be a little bit of a shocker for some people because there are some people that, that, that have this idea that the message that Jesus Christ represents, well, good news of great joy, I think it's supposed to bum everybody out. It's a guilt trip. It's about anger. It's about vanquishing your enemies. It's about feeling afraid. It's about hell and fire and brimstone and obligatory giving and all of those things, right? The idea that this message is good news of great joy might come as a surprise to some people, but there it is in black and white, clear as crystal. And the other idea that it's for all the people, all the people, that's a big deal. 
Because just like with the thing about joy, there's a lot of people that think that the, the, the message and the mission of Jesus Christ is only for a certain select few group of people who obey the same rules as you, uh, have the same socioeconomic political paradigm as you, live in the same geography as you, and so on. But think with me about who Jesus was then, who he is for you now. One of the basic ideas, a cornerstone thing for Jesus Christ is, I don't care what you look like, and I don't care where you're from, and I don't even care how you worship. Think about Jesus talking to the Samaritans. This is interesting, isn't it? It's not for some of the people. It's for all of the people. And it doesn't even matter if they agree with you. It doesn't even matter if they like you. That's a big deal. That is the universal message. That's Christmas right there in a little box with a bow on it just for you. Think about what that means. And think about the fact that, again, if God is everywhere, that message is being relayed and relayed and re-relayed over and over again. It's in every song. It's in every word that everybody says. It's in the glances that we share with each other. That's the message. And in the story, it is brought by an angel. And I think one of the reasons that people save their best selves for certain times instead of just all the time is that they really think, well, you know, I would be good if there was an angel there, you know, a guy in the toga with the wings and the harp and the whole deal. I'd be, I'd be fine. I'd be good. I wouldn't be afraid like those silly shepherds. I'd be good there, but there's no angels around, so I don't have to be good any other time. I'm saving it up. You know exactly what I mean. But to the degree that you hold your good back, this is complicated, so stick with me. To the degree that you hold your good back, you experience less good in your life. That's the algebra for today, boys and girls. That's the deal. Stop saving yourself for a rainy day. The world around you deserves the best version of you, and you deserve the best version of you. Now, it's convenient to believe that I'm only going to be good if there is a duly uh, ordained representative of God. Once again, toga, harp, halo, sandals, the whole get up. But is that how it works? You and I have been in the presence of angels over and over again and over and over again and over and over again because an angel simply is a moment of divine inspiration. An angel is a divine idea. We're going to get to the place where we stop thinking about things in personified terms. God, we know, is not a guy in the sky. That's Santa Claus you're thinking of who sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. We're going to stop thinking about angels as people who have problems and habits and jobs and to-do lists just because we have those things. We're going to stop putting our stuff up onto the divine. It's not about personality. You are in the presence of an angel when you know that you're looking at love, when you know that you're inspired by something, when something beautiful happens, something unexpected, something wonderful. When you grow, that's an angel. An angel is simply a divine idea. Stop looking for a guy in a toga with a harp and start looking around for the idea that God is, period. No exceptions. This is the universal message and the messenger is all around it's that basic idea that that god is too big for you and me to deal with 
in one thought, in one moment. You can't shake hands with God. You know what I mean? It's like, imagine if you were a two-dimensional person, like living in the second dimension, literally, everything flat, and someone somehow threw you a golf ball. You wouldn't know what to do with it. There's this giant three-dimensional object. It doesn't work for me. I can't conceive of it. It doesn't fit into my universe. It's too much. Too much. We would have to get it in slices until we understood it, right? Well, an angel is just that moment when you see one of those slices, just a little slice of, oh, wow, there's more. And at the end of the day, you get to decide what you do about those moments of encountering something bigger. You get to decide if you ignore it, if you run from it, if you hate it, or if you embrace it. That's what we're talking about. And that's why over and over again, it seems like every single time the presence of God is felt through an angelic messenger or through that still small voice or some other way, every time in Scripture God shows up in one way or the other, so to speak, the first thing that gets said is, hang on, don't be afraid. It's okay. I know you're going to freak out. Don't freak out. Isn't that interesting? We're going to talk about why that works like that in a minute. I bet you have your own ideas about it. For now, I want you to remember with me that it's a choice. But I want to ask you how you feel about the fact that you have to make that choice. You know, I end most of my services by saying freedom is a choice. You've heard me say it a bunch of times. But maybe what I don't deal with a lot is the idea that, you know what, some people don't want that choice. Isn't that funny? But it's true. I don't really think about that much, I guess. I got a, a little bit of a blind spot, I suppose. It didn't occur to me, really. It doesn't often occur to me that, that some people don't want the choice. I don't want to be forced to deal with the idea that there is unknown, there is freedom, that there are options, that I have choices. I would rather just things be completely certain and comfortable all the time. These are the same people that don't want their presence to be wrapped under the tree. They just want to see what they're getting. Certainty has been sold to us as some kind of an important value, that it's good to know exactly what's going on and, and who is what where and how this is all going to work and how much money it costs and how much this and that and the other and all the numbers and all of the data. We have been sold the idea that certainty is the thing to go for. Where are you going to be in five years? What's your big plan? We've been sold certainty so much that there's this idea that that. If you buy some product, it's going to keep you from having to deal with change or, or discomfort in one way or another. How many products are sold based on that? How many belief systems are sold based on that? But you and I both know that there's no such thing. How many products have you bought that promised the same thing but couldn't deliver, and so you buy the next product? I'm here to tell you that certainty is overrated. This is a big deal. I think that, that we develop religious systems sometimes and conspiracy theories and all kinds of defense mechanisms to try to feel certain. It's easy to be afraid and feel like, well, I don't know. And so I want to know. I need to know a thing. I want to feel smug about the world. And so I want to develop some system where I know better than somebody else. I remember as a kid in the checkout counter in the grocery store when they had like the Inquirer and the Weekly World News and the whatever, and those outrageous headlines, bat baby born in Mexico runs for Congress, you know, these kinds of things. And 
I was a little kid and I just had this, I guess, immature idea that if it's in print, it must be true. And I remember talking to my parents about that and they said, oh no, it's just, they're just silly. And sometimes it's just for fun and sometimes it's mean, but it's just to sell papers and it doesn't, just because it's written down in print doesn't mean it's real. And I think just as I went through that as a kid, I think our culture went through that. There was a, an idea at the beginning of things that if it was written down, it must be real. But now when you go through the line of the grocery store and you see those things that are fanciful and silly, and like I said, sometimes mean-spirited, you know that they're all ridiculous. We've grown past the idea that the media, you know, paper is the thing, right? Marshall McLuhan is wrong, right? That idea. I think we're going through that again because I think that there are some people that have the idea that just because it's on the internet must, means it must be true. And I think that a lot of people have developed all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories to deal with the fact that they don't know a thing. My life is uncertain. Well, there must be a, uh, some hidden Illuminati uh, secret government organization that's planning everything. No, there's just people like you and me. Guys, the, the world is not flat. When you see weird clouds in the sky, you know what they are? They're weird clouds in the sky. We're going to get to the place where we don't need to feel smug about life in order to feel better about ourselves. There are no secrets. It's just you and me. Think about how weird church gets when it starts developing secrets and starts needing to have secrets in order to know what it is. Think about how weird a relationship between two loving people gets when it starts needing secrets and conspiracies in order to feel good about itself. <laughs> Nothing works if you need secrets. So I'm here to tell you, if you really step back and look at it, none of the conspiracy theories make sense. It's time to grow up, just like you grew up and you realize the Inquirer is silly. There's no conspiracies. You don't need a theory. There's just people like you and me trying to get through life. And we get through it better when we stop trying to be certain about everything and we start going, you know what? We're all just trying to make our way. It's okay that there are things that are bigger than me. Can that be okay with you? And this is a big deal because a lot of times I think in religion we're guilty of trying to promise that kind of certainty. I think some of us have been sold the idea that faith is some way to protect yourself from ever experiencing anything unexpected. That is some kind of bulletproof vest. The idea that people have about faith sometimes is, if I have faith, nothing unexpected will happen to me. Or if something unexpected does happen to me, it won't get in. It won't get in my heart. It won't challenge me in any way. I've got my faith shields up like it's something from Star Trek. And either I won't encounter it or if I encounter it, it won't encounter me. You know, and I think uh, one of the big reasons people get burned out on church and religion is because that kind of faith doesn't make sense. It is unattainable and unrealistic and it will hurt you. Because, look, we've been working on this for a long time now, right? And we know that the obstacle is the way. Just like they say, the obstacle is the way. In other words, that thing that, that you're trying to avoid is exactly what you need in order to grow. And we talked a lot about that last week. And so a kind of faith that protects you from the unknown ain't no kind of faith. That's not what faith is. But you know what? Just for now, 
You can put that word faith aside for just a moment. It's a good word. We're going to get back to it. But right now, let's not even worry about that. It might be too big of a thing to chew on. So I just want to get you interested in the idea, maybe not of faith right now, but just of hope. Can you embrace hope? Because where some people have said that faith represents certainty, you know as well as I do, hope is, I don't know, but I hope. I don't know how this is going to work, but I know that it will work. That's hope. And that's what I want for you. Let's be the kind of people who can embrace the unknown, who can face the thing that feels like an obstacle and treat it like it's the way. Because you know what? You have a choice about that. It comes down to a decision that you make. You ever gone to Disney World and gone on the It's a Small World ride? I am a big Disney fan, as you know. I go all the time. I haven't been in a while, obviously, but I'll be first in line when the time comes. And I've got kids, and so we've been on It's a Small World approximately 15 billion times. And as crazy as it is, I still love the ride. I love the sentiment that we're all in this together. I think it's cute. The song doesn't even drive me crazy. I love it. I, I can't explain why. But there's one thing I can't explain. There is one part of it specifically that I know that I, I love and I have a reason for it. You know the deal with the ride. Even if you haven't been on it, you, you live in the world. You've, you've seen uh, pictures and that kind of thing. You know that it's a lot of dolls, little robots of children from all over the world sort of celebrating together, singing a song together all over the world. They're, they're kid dolls, right? Did you know that, as far as I know, there's only two grown-up dolls in the whole ride? They're very at the very beginning. You go through, at least at the one in Florida. I don't know what it's like at the one in California. But the one in Florida, you go through and you curve around. You go into the first room where you start to meet all the little kids. And then you make one little curve. And there are two grown-ups. Did you know that? The grown-ups are, are dolls, are robots of Don Quixote and Sancho Panza. Do you remember the story of Don Quixote? There's a, you'll see it when you go through. You go through that curve and there's a windmill. Now you remember, right? And there's Don Quixote and there's Sancho Panza. And it's a funny thing. Who are these grown-ups in this thing of kids? Why are they going after a windmill with lances? And if you're a little kid and you don't know the story, it seems like a very funny thing. Now maybe you remember the story now. You probably encountered it in like high school. But the idea of Don Quixote, who sees himself as a knight and goes after the windmills, because in his imagination, they are giants with these giant arms, the windmills. And in our culture, we have that saying, tilting at windmills means you're going after something that, that is unattainable. You're just tilting at windmills. You're going after something that you shouldn't. It's too big for you, that kind of a thing. And I have that moment of remembering Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, because I've been on the ride a million times, but that's not really why. Decades ago, decades ago, I went on that ride with my dad. And we came around the corner, and he saw me see the weirdness of an adult robot in the room full of little kid robots. And he quoted a line from Cyrano de Bergerac, that wonderful play that is an even more wonderful movie. You should see it. Maybe you got some time off because it's the holiday. Cyrano de Bergerac. Cyrano, the hero, is talking to uh, one of his uh, rivals. 
And the rival says, you know, you're a little bit like Don Quixote. And don't you know what happens if you go after windmills? In other words, don't come at me. I'm too big for you, right? That idea. The, the rival says, they might spin round their great arms and toss you down into the mire. And Cyrano says, this is the part I can see my dad saying, this is clear as I see the camera in front of me. They might toss you down into the mire, and Cyrano says, or up among the stars. And as a little kid, hearing my dad say that I didn't know what it meant, I know now. I know the idea is that sometimes in life you have to go after the thing that everyone else says is impossible, and you have a choice. Is this going to break me, or is this going to make me? And your choice determines your future. Oh, and I got to tell you, I have been on It's a Small World since that moment dozens, dozens of times. And I'll tell you, man, every single time I come around that corner, I think of my dad and I think of that quote. And it reminds me in some small, crazy way, in the middle of all of the Disney craziness and and you know, you got to take out a small loan just to buy popcorn and the whole thing in the middle of all that. I remember that, you know what? Life is a pretty grand adventure. All of it. It is a small world, but what opportunities if you just face the scary thing? It's a beautiful lesson. And I'm so grateful to have what I call an anchor moment. Every time I ride the ride, I think of that. And so as part of my homework to you, I want you to find some anchor moments in your life. What are some things that remind you of something bigger? Whether it's a little thing like the ring I wear, a song you play, a thing that you do. It's Christmas time. This is a time for anchor moments. There are crazy traditions that don't make any sense. We take a tree from the outside. We bring it inside. We take lights from the inside. We hang them outside. The whole thing, it's a time to step out of comfort zones and create some anchor moments, some things that you're going to carry with you. People say, why do we do it? All this crazy stuff and all the money we spend and all the weird stuff and the songs we sing, that's why. No, it's not rational, but you know what isn't rational? Love, art, inspiration, beauty, honor. Huh? It turns out the things that aren't rational are the most important things. You want to flip that switch and get away from fear and get into hope? Find some Anchor moments. Start deciding that, you know what? God has given me so many mangers, so many things that seem humble and even ridiculously small and silly and dirty and whatever else. And I can let those moments pass or I can seize them. You know, every single time the angel appears, the presence of God is known. The first thing you hear is, don't be afraid. But think about the chronology really quick. We spend so much time trying to avoid fear. But if you look at the chronology, an unknown thing happens, then fear happens. But then the shepherd or the whoever it is goes, oh, wait a minute. That is the Lord. That is an angel. That is divine. And once there is a realization of the divine, then you get the message. You don't have to be afraid anymore. In fact, there's something wonderful about to happen. That's the chronology. Do your thing. Something amazing will appear. See it for what it is, even if it scares you. And once you do, it will give you the message. The message don't come before that. And so what I'm trying to tell you is it's okay to be afraid sometimes. 
but face it because the obstacle is the way. There's something amazing about the idea that you could be afraid in the presence of God, but I got to tell you, I have so many pictures of my children at the mall sitting on Santa's lap crying. Maybe it's not different. How do you respond in the presence of greatness? It's okay to be afraid for a moment. Just remember what it is. If you can take a moment and realize that there is something bigger than you in your presence, you can start to grow. The presence comes before the presence, you know? Look, it's been a hard year for all of us. Maybe in a way, more now than ever before, we know what it must have felt like in some small way to be Mary waiting for this baby to be born. Aren't you hungry for a new year? New hope? Well, I'm telling you, it's Christmas time. It's time for a new year. It's time for a new birth. It's time to let your light shine in a new way. You want to flip that switch. Think about what we've talked about. It takes vision. It takes seeing it. It takes acceptance. It means having healing be okay with you. It takes action. It means doing something about it. And then it takes revolution, letting it change your world. Do those things, and things will change for you. Do those things, and you'll find out more than ever before that freedom is a choice. So we're going to do a reading now. This reading is based on the passages of Scripture that we've been working on together. It's the nucleus of the candlelighting service uh, that we have done together a few times in the past. And we won't be lighting candles today, obviously, but you'll, you'll get the, the difference. But I'm going to say, let's say that together. And I encourage you to say the statement that I share along with me. So with that in mind, Let's watch and listen to our reading. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. We hold a thought for Mary and Joseph, for courage and receptivity. And our statement is, Christ is born in me. I believe in miracles. Christ is born in me. I believe in miracles. Together, Christ is born in me. I believe in miracles. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We hold a thought for the manger, for freedom and quiet simplicity. 
our statement is, Christ is born in me. I let go and let God. Christ is born in me. I let go and let God. Together, Christ is born in me. I let go and let God. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We hold a thought for the shepherds, for expectant faith and steadfast care. And our statement is, Christ is born in me. I see spirit at work. Christ is born in me. I see spirit at work. Together, Christ is born in me. I see spirit at work. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We hold a thought for the angel Gabriel, for the calling of divine ideas. Christ is born in me. God guides my way. Christ is born in me. God guides my way. Together, Christ is born in me. God guides my way. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We hold a thought for the Magi from the East, for inner wisdom and outer demonstration. Christ is born in me. I take my prayers into action. Christ is born in me. I take my prayers into action. Together, Christ is born in me. I take my prayers into action. And like the Magi kings and shepherds of 2,000 years ago, we gather to honor the birth of the Holy Babe, and we pause to remember His eternal promise of goodness and light. Now I'd like to read to you from a writing called Solitary Life by James Allen Francis. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Many centuries have come and gone, and today he is a centerpiece of the human race and leader of the column of progress. 
all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the human experience as powerfully as has that one solitary life. Although centuries have passed, we still celebrate the birth of the baby in Bethlehem and the joy of that first Christmas still lives in our hearts. It is written, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. May the joy and peace found in the manger be yours in abundance as we celebrate this Christmas time together. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube or you can watch the videos. Come join us in person, our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.